Function Therapy. This is Karen. This is Bonnie. And hello and welcome. And we have a lot of new listeners, so Bonnie and I are two ex-evangelicals, and we grew up together since we were one year old. We were really good Christians, better than you, and (laughs) one of us fizzled, one of us studied themselves out of it, and that's why we do this today. We offer no help, no good (laughs) sources, no scholarly insight. We're just here for little lightweight stuff, although today we might be talking about some more, you know, a tad serious. Not not terribly traumatic, but a tad serious. Um, but That's, before... It is traumatic. Oh, it is. It is. And before we get into a lot of that, I just want to say thank you for people who've been reviewing us. That really helps. As you know, we sort of got attacked by a few angry people who don't like that people leave the church, so they gave us one-star reviews without actually reviewing. They just gave us the rating. Anywho, you guys have been doing such a nice job at writing reviews for us and giving us five stars. If you would please continue to do that. And if you haven't done it, please do that. Uh, You'll be blessed. Um, And then find us on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. Instagram. And sometimes Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter, like the ugly stepchild of social media. I know, that I'm doing less and less of. Oh, yeah. and we, for sponsorship, we have a newsletter that we send out. And because it's been busy, we decided, you know, we'll send out a newsletter. But we're also going to start doing Zoom parties because we've never done anything, quote, in person with people. So... That will be our first one, I think, is this week. If you want to sponsor us, the links are in any of the bios you see anywhere or go to our website, deconversiontherapypodcast.com, and then I send out the invites, and then we're all going to show up on Zoom. It'll be fun. And you know what I think I'm going to do? What? Drink. What? (laughs) That... I did say you have to be dressed, and there are a few people upset at that. Uh, well, you don't have to put pants on; just don't stand no, up. I I am horrified. I am so I this year and a half of Zoom meetings and the yeah. stories that come out. I'm yeah. just like, please be clothed head to toe. Please have a blank wall in back of you. I do just, not want to see. Make sure it is not a doorway. I need everything shut down. If you don't have pants on, don't stand up and have a mirror behind you, as I do. Oh, my God. Um, and, and have pants on just in case you spill your beverage in your lap. And oops, stand up. I, yeah, anyway. I'm going to have my hand on the controls. I'm going to be muting and deleting. It's going to be fun. That's what you Christian people who are trying to sabotage us should do. Sponsor us. Come on the Zoom meeting and then stand Ooh. up and show us your pubics. <laughs> <laughs> That'll really get us. That'll get us back to church. Oh, great. That's great. Disgusting. So how's everything been? I haven't talked to you in a while. 
It has been, it's been good. I Mm -hmm. really have been living on TikTok. I went to a podcast festival that, a a lot less festival than (laughs) I I was hoping. And then with the Delta variant, I'm like, oh, good. Uh, I get to stay at home on purpose and that people won't think how much I detest going out. Because I really do. The whole time I was there, I can picture like sitting in my bedroom with my dogs, like that is my golden place. I'm like, I'm going to be back there in two hours. It's okay. Calm down, Karen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went away for the first time in two years. It was so nice just to see other things. Um, But it does make you appreciate home. And it it was nice to want to come home. Right. You know, not that it wasn't lovely and and everything, but there is a there's a safe feeling to being home. And flying on a plane in a mask is certainly different. Yeah. It's super yeah. uncomfortable. Sure it is. Yeah. But however, I think in the future I will continue to do it even if we're out of all of this. I hear you. I don't need any of that bullshit spit. Sneezing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many times have you gotten sick after a plane ride? I would say for me, I can remember at least two getting really sick. So, yeah. Why spend the money to travel and then get a cold or whatever? Well, and the last time I went out of the country, I got sick. And I can only imagine it's because I was like, well, I I need to bite this piece of my finger right now. And (laughs) (laughs) like I just touched something disgusting on a plane. And and yeah, it, it, it made me sad, you know, to be sick. Yeah, exactly. On a trip when I wanted to feel happy and perky and energetic. But, um, but uh, it was just really nice to see different things. Like, we don't have any hills in Florida. So I kept saying, look at all this geography. <laughs> look at that hill. It's beautiful. Look at those rocks. Oh, my God. And just lakes and different, oh, different oceans. What the hell? It's so fantastic. It turns yeah. out beaches everywhere look really different. They do. Yeah. I told you I went on one when it was snowing, and, like, my mind never wrapped around that that was possible. I don't know why. Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. You don't, coming from here. And, um, yeah, it's hot as a mofo, but that's Mm -hmm. okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so want to tell people what we're talking about? Want me to tell people? I will tell them since you have lots of important actual info, because like always, I was going to wing it, but this time we're talking about the movie on Netflix, Pray Away, and the idea of conversion therapy, which is how we sort of combined it with deconversion therapy. Anywho, um, so Pray Away, I think the producer was Ryan Murphy. Yes. And you're going to tell more of the important people But it's on Netflix. We wanted to get this out as soon as possible because the more people who watch it and stream it, put it on all your devices, take a shower, have it playing if you've already seen it, the more Netflix will push it out and be visible, just like when we ask you to rate and review us. 
the algorithms pick up on that. And this is, you know, it's a really important discussion, really important thing for everyone to see. But I must say, a lot of our amazing, sweet, adorable, cute LGBT community listeners have been triggered by it. So do not watch it if you are not like, I am in the mood to be triggered. Don't. I mean, let the straight allies watch it. Let other people watch it. Don't feel that you have to, you know, oh, I need to do this as my community. You don't. Um, And being triggered by COVID getting bad again is enough for the triggerings. So let's just stay with that. And then we're going to have our special guest. We, We both watched it. The we movie. both did. We did not watch it together. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that even if we had watched it together, we would have found much levity in it because it is a very, very serious, solemn piece of work. Oh, yeah. Um, there are no jokes. We were surprised. <laughs> no, I found four. We will oh, get there. Ooh. Yeah. And I think they were intentional, and I love the editor for them. Either that or the director, whoever made these decisions, but we'll get there. Um, so if anybody doesn't know what conversion therapy is, it is when somebody who thinks that they have a non-straight lifestyle goes to talk to some people and generally have some quote-unquote therapy. Um, And a lot of times it's religion-based. And so you are frequently with a group of people who think that you can pray away the gay, which is where the name of the movie comes from. Pray away. And I think think that... Christianity and evangelicals started the whole thing in general that you can fix this. I don't know if there were any like secular things doing it. I'm sure maybe one or two, but there's I the think... guy in the movie mm-hmm. who is secular. He's more of a uh he's a doctor. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But so he think... he wasn't the big push of the um there's there's a the the main person not person the main group organization that they focus on is called Exodus in this movie yeah yeah and talking about the movie itself it's a documentary it's it's well done well filmed yeah got a good pace you know i watch a lot of documentaries and this is this is a great one i mean I hope it does as well, because this one obviously builds policy, and conversion therapy should be illegal, and that's just it. You were saying to me, well, you know, it should only be done if consent. You know, if the person is like, you know, I feel this, I want to do this, but that means they'd have to be over 18, and by the time you're over 18, you go... There's not really anything wrong with me. So, hopefully, well, I mean, yeah, if you grow up in the Christian church, um, 
you might think otherwise. And that's what all of these people had in common, who they focus on in the documentary. They all thought something was wrong with them and that they were being bad. Um, But I have another place to start from that I wanted to tell you that's kind of funny. Okay. So um, maybe about eight years ago when I moved back to Florida, my mom and I were driving around and we're like, oh, there's a garage sale. Let's go see the garage sale. And it was in the cutest little like carriage house, guest house behind a big giant house close to where we grew up. You'd know the street if I told you. So um, I was as excited, if not more, to see the house right. <laughs> than I was whatever shit they were trying to get rid of. So we're up there and we're, you know, milling about and it's kind of a small environment. So I'm going from room to room and somehow the guy just struck me as um, super earnest and not... Uh, not a joker at all. That's, of course, my cue to be suspicious. <laughs> and some, for some reason, I, I don't remember the details of that afternoon much, but for some reason, he gave me his business card. And I just thought he seemed uh, just a little bit different. And I wanted to look him up. So the minute we we get in the car, my mom's driving and I'm on my phone googling him. And sure mm-hmm. enough, I found his testimony about how he used to be gay and wasn't anymore. And I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we just met somebody and his wife." Oh. Cuz his wife was there with him. Right. And um I was just, I was floored. I'm like, oh my God, I'm for sure back in Florida now. Right. (laughs) And I don't, I don't remember his name at all. But when I was Googling, you know, my testimony, conversion therapy, Florida, did you know that Milo Yiannopoulos is going to open a conversion therapy facility in Florida? Oh, this is what. (laughs) Really dislike that guy. Yeah. So. If you don't know who he is, I'm only vaguely familiar with him. He seems like the kind of guy who just wants attention from controversial stuff. Exactly. So, like, I think that if he just stuck his finger in his butt and then licked it and put it on video. Damn it. (laughs) See? You're going to get attention. I think that Mm -hmm. he just keeps poking people. Yeah, he, he seems totally... It, performance, you know, like this is going to get a lot of attention. I don't think there's a lot that he truly believes in as a person except for poking uh, at things. Attention, yeah, right. because now uh, he's gay right now, but he decided, and oh, and it, apparently he was engaged to his boyfriend. And he took his $150,000 engagement ring off and threw it in the ocean. And now they still live together, but he's just a roommate. So I don't know what the hell's going on. I would be diving into that water. Um, So I I like that somebody on Twitter said... um, uh, a team of highly skilled gay men need to deprogram this asshole. 
Um, so I don't know. And, uh, oh, apparently he also showed somebody else's house in Miami when Hurricane Irma came through and said, oh, my house is destroyed. And people were being nice and going, oh, poor you. And the guy whose house it was like, that's my house. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, he's a mess. But the whole conversion, you know, whatever he thinks the facility is horrible like that that's just that's draconian and disgusting it is uh i I, and and again i go well you know what if you're 18 and you want to deacon or you want to convert wait no how do you say that if you're 18 and decide you don't want to be gay anymore and you want to give something a shot it's your choice just like it's our choice to do anything just don't shove it in my face and force yeah. anybody I to do it. I still think it's, yeah. I th- still think it's so damaging. Um, I agree yeah. that it is. I think, you know, drinking too much is damaging. Smoking is damaging. But these people, you know, they get to choose it. I still I say no. I know. I know. Um, I just think the word consent is a really important part of the vocabulary. In life. Yeah, yeah, in general. Um, all right, so there was a good introduction of the movie from this NPR segment um, that I kind of liked. Okay, and it says, When director Christine Stolakis went to film school, she knew precisely what her first documentary would be about. It's a movement that, according to one estimate, has affected the lives of nearly 700,000 people in the U.S. with disastrous results. Conversion therapy, quote-unquote, is the discredited practice that aims to convert a person's sexual orientation or gender identity to heterosexual or cisgender. It is often religious in nature, with groups claiming sexual orientation and gender identity can be changed through prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it says major U.S. medical groups have condemned the practice. That's great. More than 20 states have banned it from being done on minors, which that's that should be 100 percent. And Australia just banned it. You know, you want to say nationally, we can just say on the whole continent. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, I I mean, I think consent is the key, but that's key to a lot of issues in the world, but this in particular. Um, so the main group that I was mentioning that this focuses on is Exodus. And I love how they always come up with a great, great name. It like, is- what do you want to do? Come out? You want to... Oh, wait. Exodus? Exactly. <laughs> But it, it isn't coming out. It's coming <laughs> out of in. bondage, I right. guess. Yes. So um, the focus of this show was on the people who used to be the leaders of Exodus and how they have all, with the course of time passing, realized that they inflicted a lot of harm on a lot of people. And they are all now people who at one point said we're gay, but we're going to pray it away. And they had had a conversion. They came to Jesus. They were then deemed straight and they ran Exodus and then at various times decided, uh, okay, well, actually I am gay. 
Right. Three of the guys were like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it didn't take. Um, The woman is still married and has kids. She considers, Um, yeah, herself bisexual. Yeah. And um, so the founder, the co-founder of Exodus is Michael Bussey. He's interviewed a lot. Um, The former vice president, John Polk, is the one that people might remember most because he was... Um, he was kind of the face of it all. Do you remember back then? I sort of do, but I didn't really remember his face. But that definitely, he did like the daytime talk show circuit with his right. wife, who was an ex-lesbian. And, you know, look right. what happened look what to us. conversion we therapy can do. can do for us. Right. We can get together and have babies and... um uh, so, so John Polk was all over the media, and he says, uh, by the way, he looks so different from when he was younger totally. to now, and I yeah. love how he looks now. Me too. Absolutely. Um, when I think he the was same in his, thing. Yeah. When he was in his early 20s, he looked like um, um, a more saccharine version of Andrew Rannells. Like a cupie doll. He looked right. like a Welch's kid. He was so perfectly cute. And his hair was perfect. And he just had the big round glasses that were so popular in that I time. I didn't think cute. I thought, yeah, uh, not attractive to me. I didn't think there was a cuteness. No, but just like those kids on the Welch's commercials that were so cute, they clicked over into the... Oh, it's too much. Gotcha. Uh, too many parts are just too cute. I didn't find him attractive. You either. said cute. So, and we had it I on know. recording. <laughs> but <laughs> two separate things. Who's okay, so the ex-lesbian now. <laughs> so oh um so John Polk all over the media was in you know on the Mari Povich show. Um he says at one point, I really was the most famous ex-gay person. <laughs> <laughs> such a such a, a long list. Right. Um, but yeah, now I could swear if people watched it, take this as I'm saying, he almost looks like he has a different heritage than he did yeah. when he was younger. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And Yeah, that's the thing. I think all these things, just like Roe versus Wade, anything that had a Christian backing, especially in the early 80s type time, they would pick out people who they're like, we can run with this guy. And that's what they did with John Polk. And they just, you know, shot him out with his, his wife to be on every single show there is. Yeah, he was the example of a success story for conversion therapy. Correct. Until and, and <laughs> I just I just I just love this because they had a picture. He said he went to some event and he got intoxicated and he went out to a gay bar. And somebody inside the gay bar who was an activist recognized who he was, and they grabbed their camera, and they caught a picture of him running away from the bar with his hand over his face. And he's wearing, like, a sweater vest and totally this look of of that time, you know, a couple decades ago. And um, 
so I and and he was funny talking about it. He's like, well, maybe I'll just say I was uh, in there by mistake looking for a bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh God, love him. Looking for a glory hole, a bathroom. Oh. Yeah. And then he was, so, you know, I'm looking for research. All of it. It's. A, I didn't know right. it was a gay bar. When I what? noticed, I ran out. <laughs> oh gosh. So um. So so he's one of the guys that they talk that they talk to a lot in here and you know now he's he's got a lot of remorse um and I think it's satisfying to see a lot of people with remorse who Exactly who had people uh following them for something right. that just, It shows a lot of humility. You know, to be like, I was wrong, and it hurt me, and it hurt others. And a lot of these people also, you know, cried in front of the camera as far as their own stance and how it affected people back then. Yeah, and he was so honest. He said, if I kept up going like I was going, I would have taken my own life. Yeah. And And a lot of them have. That's what's so sad. Right. And um, uh, one of the interviews, I like it. I can't remember, Leslie Stahl or something on 60 Minutes was like, so you're not just a gay man who struggles with this every day. And he was like, nope. And um, uh, it just it just hurts so much because you want to believe what you want yourself to be. Right. Right. Exactly. Which that- is. Oh, God. No, that, well, that's the thing. They're like, you know, we can't do this, but Jesus can do this for us and through us and all that. And it's just like when we were in church, you know, if you're going and you're around that community for multiple hours every week, you know, you mm-hmm. have that strength during that time. But right. then, yeah. Well, so one of the themes that I really that re- it resonated to me a lot throughout the whole movie here was that all of these people, or at least three or four of them, seem to talk about the whole concept of I was I was bad, mm-hmm. and that comes from the whole church environment and the teaching. So it was very important to them to not be bad in the eyes of the Lord and I guess the people who explain the Bible to them. So good versus bad, um, it's just, it's such a story that we as humans cling to, you know. I mean, that's what the best movies of all time are based on, you know, Star Wars, good versus bad, the dark right. side. Um, so so he he was talking about being good versus bad. So it also focuses on Yvette. She worked with John. Um, One of the things that I didn't care for that she said in an interview a million years ago, and this is the thing, people change. She was having an argument with somebody saying, well, if we're allowed to marry whoever we find attractive, then what's next? Pedophiles being able to marry eight-year-olds? I'm like, that is not a logically sound argument. And we um, heard it. We heard it, you know, recently when all this stuff was happening when gay marriage was being approved. Like, what's next? So I guess someone can just marry a dog. And I'm like, I wish, but no. (laughs) I would. Um, But yeah, and um, another one of the themes that it digs into is capitalizing on fear. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so the fears of people, oh my God, what is going to happen next? Are people going to be marrying eight-year-olds and dogs? And oh my God, oh my God. Um, so uh, the other the other phraseology is that the right word that I liked is that they all talked about having a homosexual encounter as acting out. Right, right. Yeah. Which I'm sure the lingo of that time, they were joined together by whatever lingo that was. Um, We would always say slipping up. (laughs) Would we? No, I don't know. In addition to the Exodus thing, they focus on some people currently who are in a movement where they have received Jesus and are no longer um, in I, anything but what? Are no longer identifying as gay, I would like to say. They yes. say they are no longer gay. We have a difference right. of opinion. That's okay. Right. So, um, <laughs> okay. So there's this one part that just it, it, the whole movie starts off with this guy who no longer identifies as uh, the transgender woman that he was trying to be, mm-hmm. and he sh- and he has a big board with some pictures of before and after. He takes it out of his car and he goes to stand outside a local retail shop wherever he lives in Georgia, and he just starts talking to random people coming out of the store, saying, "This is me before. This is me now. Can I pray for you? Can I? You know, do you need any prayer today?" And I'm just like, "I don't care what you're peddling. Don't talk to me." Right. <laughs> like, right. Oh my god, I was talk about being triggered. I'm like, ah, exactly. And the thing is, even at my most evangelical, I guarantee if I was in a small town, walked by this guy with a Uh poster that says from trans to, you know, whatever he did to man or something like that and says, hello, can I private? You know, I would think if I stopped, which actually I am a pushover and I probably would have, it would have been because I felt bad, that I thought something was a little off with this person and I didn't want to contribute to their, you know, them feeling awkward and bullied in their life. But I right. would not have been, this is a sane situation. <laughs> right. Ever. But, you, yeah. but you're right. Like, I wouldn't want to walk by and go, oh, he probably gets ignored a lot. So maybe I'll pay attention and have a conversation with him. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, just on a shitty human level, don't approach me outside a place. Even if you're saving dogs. I I will not make eye contact with the cute little kids selling cookies. I'm just like, look straight ahead, Karen. Don't look. look. Do you not buy Girl Scout cookies? We do, but once we're done with that, I don't want to make (laughs) eye contact because I feel I'm giving them hope. (laughs) Look, kid, I'm going to teach you right now about hope. (laughs) Oh, my God. So uh, I just really think it's... It's altogether very solemn, but, but definitely very important. Yeah, and it's but it's also not over dramatized to mm-hmm. be like mm-hmm. we're really going to make you upset. Like it's very well done, and it's 
you can watch it. Like I would say for me, it was easy to watch because I don't identify with any of it. So I'm pulled by my curiosity. So I found it very interesting and also sort of that fist pump of, yeah, those people aren't, you know, want nothing to do with it and are ashamed that they did that. So there's a small glimmer of silver lining. Yeah, and I would like to think that if I, as, you know, a 20-year-old watched this, I would go, these people changed over time and are able to see things from a broader perspective. Right. And maybe I could go, oh, maybe I should learn that now instead of having to go through it the shitty hard way. True, true. Well, that brings us to, speaking of shitty, that brings us to our guest this week. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's the greatest person on TikTok, and we're really happy to have him because he has been through conversion therapy. So now you guys are going to get to hear from Jagazus. Now our special treat is here, and it's Jagazus. And if people are on TikTok, you've probably already come across their feed because I know you came across mine. I'm like, what is happening? There is a Jesus-like figure, but with great cheekbones, flowy hair, and beautiful makeup. So... Jagazus, you're on TikTok and Instagram, because I gave you a little shout-out the other day, because we love you. What else? Are you on Twitter or anything? Um, yeah, I okay, so I'm on Instagram. That's kind of the new frontier for the Jagazus page. But <laughs> I do have a Twitter, and I do have a YouTube. Twitter is super dead. I never use it. I'm so intimidated by it. I don't know why. I started on Twitter, you know, I'm a millennial, like that should be my bread and butter. And I can't remember how to use it to save my life. (laughs) Yeah. All your videos are very, um, uh, it seems a lot are about church history. So what are your, Mm -hmm. what's your background? What's your interest? What are you trying to accomplish? Where do you see yes. yourself in five years? No, just. Oh my gosh, it's so funny because I just got asked that question last week. It's like my new Saturday question. Where do you see yourself in five years? And I'm like, I've never thought about that. Don't. Not in this context. Yeah. Like I've yeah. thought about it graduating high school or like entering college, but you never with Jagazos. No. <laughs> no, I have, and I'm not where I thought I would be in five years. No, no, that's why I don't uh, think about it ever. Uh, Um, So, yeah, no, I talk a lot about church history. My background is really just in self-research and self-questioning. I don't have any kind of like, you know, doctorate or formal training. It's all just pretty layman stuff. And I think that's what makes my channel kind of fun because I try to approach things as I'm learning them. So it seems accessible and people are always like, wow, you break things down in a way I can understand. I'm like, it's because I don't fully understand them. Uh, right. <laughs> it makes it easier for you to also big. learn it. Right, right. And then, of course, it's interactive. So people have questions that lead me to new research and try to dig into new, you know, rabbit holes of discovery. So that's been a process. But where I see it in five years, I don't, I don't know. I mean, when I was thinking about it, when I was asked last time, I think it would be really cool to like transition into 
some kind of like helpful helpful platform like I have like this weird dream of just kind of traveling and doing in-person interviews with people um mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like yet but that would be an interesting path to pursue well that sounds good Bonnie and I have instead just said we're gonna start a cult because that way we can stay I in one place <laughs> yeah <laughs> Stay I, in one place. I find all the houses on Zillow Gone Wild. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, where one room is pretty much a baptismal. So it's already there. And That's the swimming pool. Wait, so what's the, <laughs> what's the Reader's Digest version of your, of your background? How would you grow up? Church? Yeah, Sounds yeah, not there was like church it there. so much, though. <laughs> um, I grew up. And the Southern Baptist Church specifically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth generation. Yeah. Fourth generation Baptist right here. It didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I broke the chain. <laughs> but That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so I guess, I guess we your left parents, early. So your parents were very into the church as well. My mom was, because uh, mm-hmm. that's where that third generation would have came from. She was born mm-hmm. and raised into it. And mm-hmm. my grandparents. I guess my great-grandparents were from Oklahoma, so they were, like, Southern. Um, Yeah. So just kind of passed down through that way. And she was probably the most religious of her family. Like, none of her siblings went. She was very devoted. Um, She credited a lot of, like, you know, her turnarounds in life to church. So she made my dad convert. My dad was Jewish. Oh, Uh, I love that. Yeah. So he was not nearly as invested in it. He was very much like, I love you. I'll do whatever you say, wife. Uh, (laughs) But not nearly as personal about it. What age did you know that you were gay? Um, Okay. So it was a little bit of a process. I almost feel like it wasn't that I, I knew. I Let's see. So I was in like sixth grade. I was an early starter. So I was probably like 11, I want to say. And I had a friend, uh, I guess I won't say his name just in case, but I don't even remember his last name. And he's changed it twice, so we'll never know. <laughs> but Can we call him Ephraim? We can call him Ephraim. Yeah, so <laughs> Ephraim came to me in the sixth grade and was like, oh, I need to come out to you. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, I'm bi. And he had to describe the entire word to me because I was so sheltered. My school had 13 people in my class. Oh, like, wow. it was so small. Um, and that so I is never. A cult. That's a cult. Uh, it was just a really small town. We had a <laughs> hundred people in the town. Right. They were all different denominations. No, about like fifty percent of them were Mormon. The other fifty percent were Seventh Day Adventists, and I was just really weird because I was in a non-denominational wow. church. You know, it's easier for you to say seven of them were Mormon. Yeah, seven the of other. them were Mormon, and yeah. seven of them were. <laughs> Oh, wow. But, like, no, I mean, there, which that, that could be very culty. But the school itself wasn't very culty, you know? They were very open to everyone being from their own cult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me just for right now say that we c- we're definitely older, of course. So when we had people who were on the cusp of coming out, they didn't have anybody really in the media or in social yeah. media or, or anywhere to look to. And it was much more in the dark. So I love mm-hmm. that your friend was like, I'll explain this to you. Yeah. No, I had to get a personal like one-on-one to break it down because um, I didn't really have anything in the media as well. And 
I didn't have a lot of media because I was out in the country, so everything I got was just over the air antenna. Right. Um, yeah. So I didn't get any and good cable about, representations. Yeah. Were your parents keeping that, f- keeping things <laughs> from you, or do you think that it just like yeah. you're out in the country and you don't get magazines? I think I was just <laughs> out in the country. I don't think they would have had a way to keep like homosexual topics from me per se. Right. Um, but at the same time, they were definitely. They're at that time. They still want to let me read Harry Potter. You know what I mean. So they're definitely there you go. keeping certain <laughs> things out. <laughs> right. But you know, little did they know, I became gay from school of fourteen kids and not a wizard. But <laughs> <laughs> I kept the wrong things they away. Worried about wizardry. <laughs> so, oh, so awesome. your friend Ephraim was saying that. Were you like, this sounds familiar? Yeah. Yeah, something something ticked in me and kind of triggered me into like this whole weird like wait who did what we can do this that's a thing. Um, I don't think I ever really thought about it, and at that time, I could kind of start reflecting on it, and I realized that ever since like fourth grade or maybe even sooner, I'd always recognize that like I liked guys. And I've always written that off my entire childhood life by saying, well, of course you do. Like, every guy likes guys. That's why they're friends. Right. You know? Like, you see them go play basketball, and the first thing they do is, like, let's all take off our shirts and run around and then slap each other. Um, (laughs) And run around. Yeah, it's friendship. I get it. I get that. And it explains why I don't have any guy friends, right? (laughs) Um So I was just this whole time trying to figure out how you unlock that friendship level. And little did I know that, no, that it's like a different thing. Um, And yeah, so I really started thinking on it. And then I decided at that time, I was like, okay, like I'm bi. Um, I didn't come out to anybody about that until high school. And when I was going into my freshman year of high school, I decided I was going to start a whole new chapter out of the closet. Everyone was going to know we're in a school of 1,200 kids. Instead of Whoa. 13. So I just oh had to like God. forget about the 13 that knew me and start fresh with this new group. And I got there and like the very first day of band camp before school started, they're like, hey, are you gay? And I was like, <laughs> whoa, you know, <laughs> left field. Let me tell you what instrument I play first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is flute, by the way. They could have guessed just from the instrument. <laughs> um, no, and then I, so I froze. Oh, I was so terrified. I was like, absolutely not. Like, I, oh. I'm a Christian, firstly. Uh, I was still heavy in the church, and I didn't know what to do, and so I freaked out. It only took seven days, though, seven days for them to break me down and be like, well, this guy likes you, and we know that you're at least bi, so I don't know why you keep lying to us. And I was like, okay, I'm bi. That's right. I'm bi. That's it. You got it. So I started dating a guy. Well, like, when did you tell your parents, and how'd that go? That didn't go great. <laughs> Imagine. I know, right? The people who hid Harry Potter didn't <laughs> like it. Um, so I got I got that boyfriend from band camp, and we started dating. Um, so while my school was larger than the other school, it's still a small town, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still the town my mom grew up in. So not only does she know everybody and they know her, but like actual school faculty were her cousins. 
So one of the secretaries yeah. in the office saw me and my boyfriend together and this was probably three months into us dating. So I actually don't know why it took that long. We were the only two gay kids at the school. So everyone knew, right? And it was always the talk of the town. Um, but at one day, three months into it, uh, my secretary, second cousin, third cousin <laughs> removed, however that is, decided to tell my mom that, you know, I was in a relationship with a guy. Um, so I got home uh, all the way out in the middle of nowhere, maybe like three, four o'clock, whenever the bus dropped me off. And as soon as I get home, I see my mom's car come up our driveway, which was like a mile long. So I could watch this whole process happen. And then my dad's truck followed right behind it. And they never come home at the same time, right? They look for different jobs, different commutes, everything. So it was like, it's four o'clock. They don't usually get home till six or seven. Like something's up. And why are they falling in line right behind each other? And I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. So they got home. They sat me down at the table and they were like, it's come to our attention that you've been seeing a boyfriend at school and we just want to let you know that like we love you no matter what, but you're not allowed to be gay while you're under our roof. So mm-hmm. they grounded me for I guess they said going behind their backs, but I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> which entailed also taking away my cell phone. And their specific words were, we're taking away your cell phone so you can't text guys you like. Because they went through all my right. text messages, firstly. Oh. They went to AT&T and they got a transcript <gasps> of every message back and forth. Oh. Um, but, oh. yeah, so they were taking away my cell phone. Therefore, I could not talk to any guys I like at school. And that one, I, like, nearly lost it. I was – it was so funny. It was so funny. And I was like, you know I still have to go to school, right? Like, I will see these guys in person. <laughs> like, I could write them a note in fifth period. Like, what are you <laughs> – I love that. You know I still have to go. <laughs> a little oh. dramatic, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. So after that, they, you know, took me to my youth pastor who at the time we were planning on going to a trip to a missionary trip to India and I already raised all the funds for it. I put in like $2,000 of like, you know, my, whatever 13 year old money looks like, whatever that was, uh, doing fundraisers and stuff. So I was all planned to go like the next month. And when he found out that I was gay, he decided to cancel me from the trip because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how am I going to evangelize to others if I'm not right with God myself? Um, so we... Uh, were you were you super bummed or kind of happy that you didn't I have to go to so India? I was so bummed. I was such, like, an evangelical warrior at that point. Yeah. I was on every San Francisco, like, Save the Homeless trip. I was trying to convert my friend from that small school out of Mormonism. Um I, I was I was out there trying to get them souls every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so India was like the biggest thing ever. So you're banned from uh, India. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. next on your... So I think if I remember correctly, it was my youth pastor's idea to send me to like this conversion therapy place. Um, I, it was, I don't know if it was my mom's idea or it was his, but it was someone's. Well, they and so, yeah. and you're and you're what age at this point? I I was 
13. Because oh, I came out funny. in school when I was 12, and then I think I was outed to my parents when I was 13. Right. Um, so we did that. Uh, it was a place, like, it was three hours away from where we lived. So we had to only do this on Thursdays. And they would take me out of school, and then we would drive three hours away. And then I would With your parents? There. Yeah, with both my parents. Um, I would do individual counseling first, and then they would bring my parents in. That was like an hour for the one-on-one session. Then they would bring my parents in, and we would do a family counseling session for another hour. And then they would bring in a group of like six or seven other teenage boys, and we would do group therapy for another hour. And each session cost $100, and my family is not well off. So they were taking off work to drive three yeah. hours out and waste all that money on gas and then spend 300 hours on this one session every Thursday and then drive all the way back. Okay. Um, I have lots of questions. Wow. So yeah, what did you sure. tell people at school that you were doing when you were leaving early? Oh, I was straight up about it. This was my favorite thing to tell people. I loved it. I love it. I loved it. People were like, why do you leave a class every earlier, every Thursday or whatever? And I was like, because uh, my parents are trying to turn me straight. <laughs> That's awesome. And oh, it was did great. it take? We're, we don't know. Um, so, okay. so what was, wait, wait, wait. So, we'll never so, know. <laughs> So Karen had questions, but I have one. Like, what was your demeanor when you were in the family counseling? Were oh, you God. were you compliant and faking it, or mm, no? I okay. So one thing that is really important to know about me is I'm extremely combative mm-hmm. in like the most manipulative and like small, precise, intelligent way. I would say mm-hmm. um, I do not like. Things go easily. I'm a Scorpio. I don't know. (laughs) So I sat there and I would just like stare. I wouldn't be very Mm -hmm. loud or vocal. And then when they would ask me something that wouldn't make sense, I would throw it right back at them and be Mm -hmm. like, you know, here's how here's how I see it, because X, Y and Z. And you didn't put this thing over here. I don't I need like an actual conversation point. But I'm, I'm very petty like that. I'm the person who, at like six years old, would fight back with my parents because they'd be like, you need to respect me. I'm your father. And they'd be like, you need to respect me. I'm your child. Right. Um, and they didn't like that. Right. So then I'd get grounded. And then what I did is record my voice on a high screaming pitch, just yelling at the top of my lungs. <laughs> then I would put the tape recorder up against my door and just leave it on repeat. So it would be screaming into the hallway and I didn't have to waste my breath. <laughs> That was me as a child. So, a delight <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I brought that same energy to strangers telling me I needed to be straight. So, never, I guess, you know, which it breaks my heart when people are like, yeah, I really need to fix me and I really need to do something. But you already were like, now that I know what I am, I'm good yeah. with it. Right, okay. right. Yeah, no, I already came in there with the with the swinging. Um, I didn't have as much like, like you know, theology reference to be able to try to defend myself on a scriptural level. But I just came right. in there being like, I know where I'm at, and I know I'm fine. Like at that point, I was still heavily in church. I was still just very much in the place of like God's cool with it. I would have I would have known if He wasn't. You know, I don't feel guilt. I don't feel shame. I'm not doing anything. Um, you know, I was a I was a kid. So I was like, 
if you're going to try to sit here and tell me it's the act itself, like, I haven't done the act. Why am I here? You know, like, what if I went mm-hmm. and was celibate my whole life? Like, you don't know what my plans are. <laughs> you don't know me. I love that. You don't know what my plans are. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I really need to know. What fascinates me is the other people, the, the boys that they bring in. Mm-hmm. Or do they ever date on the sly? Are they looking at each other going back? You mean the group therapy? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I wish it would have been a great networking way to like meet other young gay guys. <laughs> because remember in my school, it was just me and my bi boyfriend. So I didn't have options. <laughs> it would have been a really cool, like yeah. better than Tinder meetup. You were but- now in a room that was 100%. I was not. So, unfortunately, I was the only gay kid in the room. I don't get it. I know. So, the let me let me break down <laughs> the like therapy the, structure for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, these two counselors that I had, they were a Christian. Let's call it life coaching service gotcha. because oh, we can't yeah. call them therapists. And they only focused in sexual deviancies. So for them, that meant homosexuality, rape, incest, what have. Yeah. Which should not be lumped together. Every single other guy there was straight um, or at least identified that way openly. So they were all there for anything from, like, you know, molesting their sister to pornography addiction to just deviant sexual thoughts or drawings or whatever that may be. Um, So everyone was there for a different reason, but I was the only gay one. That, see, that itself is, we don't get into a lot of trauma. But to be like, I, they see me the same as someone who messed with their sister That's upsetting. It was very upsetting. Uh, (laughs) I did not like that. No, I was I was molested at a young age. So, I mean, I actually worked through that pretty easily. Like, I didn't at that thirteen year old age. I was already worked through most of the trauma. Not not really because I mean that sticks. But like you know the resentment or Mm -hmm. the anger or like trying to hold the other person accountable. I didn't have any of that at that age. Um, I went to a lot of therapy when I was a kid. So. I worked through that pretty early. So I didn't hate my abuser in a way of like, you know, it being disparaging. But for them to compare me to an abuser hit a different nerve. For sure. For sure. And I'm sorry about that. And I'm glad that you got the help you needed early on. Sure. At least for that part. Yeah. My mom was very good about those kinds of things. She didn't ever try to like swipe those under the rug or try to hide it from like the church and she put me in a secular counseling for for that one when i was like five or six so so she had she some very hits and misses is what she had some saying. hits and misses yeah <laughs> no that was that was a nice pleasant surprise because you think small town and you have your stereotypes so yeah no we actually a, drove an hour out of thing. town for that one too right yeah wow Aww. What about, what is your favorite, like, weird thing that you've talked about or found out about church history or people in the Bible? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, thank you. That was Karen, not Bonnie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think I would have that off the top of my head. Um, 
Okay, so here's the thing. So, like, as much as I knew, like, in my heart that hell wasn't a real thing, you're still, as an evangelistic, evangelistic child, you know, raised in evangelism, yeah. uh, you still have that seed in your head that says, this is your trauma. You will be afraid of hell. Um, and that, that always was there, even if I didn't realize it. So when I came into the Jagezas page, one of the very first things I did was start researching the concept of hell. And, like, it blew me away how it was never a part of the early church. It was never supposed to be. It came in later. And, Mm -hmm. like, the way that it's used has even been taken from, like, the metaphor that originally came in 200, 300 years later and then been turned into this, you know, weaponized device of mind control it blew the entire thing open for me again and i was i was you know taken away by that so what did you find out that hell referred to in the bible yeah so i mean there's four different words that were translated to hell in english um i love just reminding people that it wasn't written in English. What? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there's the Hebrew concept of Sheol, uh, which is better translated as the grave. Uh, in the Greek, it would be Hades. It's the same concept, which they took from the Greek Hades. And in a lot of the New Testament Gospels, there's the concept of Gehenna, which is the Hebrew Gehennon which is a valley in a physical place. Uh, but none of those things mean hell. Oh, and there's Tartarus. That's the one other word. It's only used twice in the entire Bible. And it's specifically a pit where the angels are kept in chains of darkness. So you that have the grave, hellish. a valley, and a place for uh-huh. angels. It does sound hellish, but it's only for angels. And it is never mentioned <laughs> as being anything more. Which is directly like the Greek Tartarus. It's where they send the Titans to be kept in chains of darkness. So they're like, oh, yeah, same thing, but angels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those things have just been misused because in the KJV, when it decided to come along with, with its really, really fantastic translating <laughs> skills. Because if I think of anything, I think of just like men in the 1500s having a robust knowledge of dead languages and white men love asking questions to understand culture. Like that's what they are really good at zoning in at. So we can trust it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, surprisingly in the 1500s, robust. I thought Moses had horns and unicorns were a thing. It turns uh. out that that's not true. But KJV is the worst offender with, like, 54 mentions of hell. And then if you go to some of the later versions, they are much better at it. And they only have more, like, 13 to 23 words that they've translated to hell. And if you go to the new, new versions, it only happens 13 times because it only keeps Gehenna. And they add footnotes that says this is Gehenna. Um, And then if you go with, like, the, the... study like Bibles like in RSV, they won't say it like even a single time unless it's used as an exclamation. But <laughs> go to hell. So <laughs> pretty much. Right. <laughs> so where does if you don't accept Jesus as your savior, you will go to hell come from? It comes from, you know, just like Paul's verses. Um but not even, it doesn't, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. Why did I say that? No. So it just comes from a mishmash of theologies. So, like, it says Jesus oh. in the Bible saying, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and life. There's no 
eternal kingdom except for me. And people are like, yeah, totes. That means, you know, you're going to hell if you don't accept him. But, like, it never explicitly says that. It never does. Um, The teaching itself came from a very Hellenistic doctrine. So in the early 200s and et cetera, there were still a lot of pagan Greeks and Romans who followed uh, Hell, the goddess of Hell. And the Hellenistic teaching is that you would go to this afterlife. And it wasn't good or bad. It was a catch-all afterlife, much like Sheol, where everyone goes, you get rewarded if you're doing good things in life, and you get punished if you're doing bad things, but all in the same place. And when Constantine kind of made this amalgamation of religious ideas to keep the pagans interested, he would copy and paste things. Um <laughs> You also get a little bit of that flavor with Augustine, but not not nearly as clear. And yeah, Paul didn't mention it. He was a Jew. He would have also believed in the same kind of shoal grave afterlife. And everyone's risen mm-hmm. in the Bible. Everyone at the end is risen from their graves, where everyone is, to then mm-hmm. face Judgment Day. Um, so the fact that people think you're just in heaven is wrong. You're in a grave. Waiting for resurrection. And that, you know, there's so many things, I'm sure, that you also looked, you know, past that I did. And I remember going like, okay, the rapture part where people come out of their graves, I is that the body, aren't they already up in mm-hmm. heaven or down in hell? And so many of those things I would just be like, oh, I don't need to know that God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and You're I know welcome. I'll see you on the TikTok. And yeah, anyone just follow Jagasis on all the social media platforms, and he's got merch and really smart things to say and fun things to say, and we appreciate it. <laughs> thank and you they're for having well researched me. It's been fun. I try to be. I'm not I'm not always, but that's fun too. No, I love if it. If you know something yep. I don't know, call me out. Teach me a lesson. No. <laughs> Dominate <Yeah>. me. <laughs> We're afraid now. Now that you like <laughs> a recording of you screaming at our front door. That's We're an exclusive story. I don't think I've ever shared that with anyone outside my family. <laughs> we got the scoop. All right. Well, thanks so much and yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.